So hi, I'm Graham. I'm the new teaching pastor here. I'm really excited to be part of the congregation here. And this is my first uh, sermon in my new position here. I'm very excited, and I hope that you are too. And I hope that uh, this is going to be a great season together. So with that, let's uh, let's just dive into it. Uh, but first, let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for a place where we can gather. Thank you for a place where we can be together. Thank you for a place where we can come to meet with you and where you meet with us. Thank you for your word. We pray that the words this morning would be your words and not mine, that they would go deep into our hearts, that they would affect the change that you seek in us, that we would be closer to you for having been here. In Jesus' name, amen. So as Justina mentioned this morning, today we're starting a new series where we'll be looking at some of the personal encounters of Jesus with different individuals that we meet in the Gospels. Our series is gonna run for eight weeks, which will take us right to November. The title of this series is It's Personal, and our first message today is looking at the story of Zacchaeus from Luke 19. This story comes right at the end of what's called Jesus' Judean ministry. Now, Jesus did ministry in a couple different areas. He did ministry in the area of Galilee, which was further to the north. He did ministry in Judea, which is kind of the more core area of, well, the country of Judah and what we would think of as Israel around Jerusalem. And then finally, he did some ministry in Jerusalem during the week of Passion Week, Holy Week, whatever you would like to call it. But that gets kicked off with what we call Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. So this story comes just a few verses before that crucial time in Jesus' life. And that placement of this story, that this is the last thing that Jesus does before he comes into Jerusalem, that's not something that we can just ignore. Jesus is on his way to the most important thing he will ever do. He's on his way to die for the sins of you and me and everyone else, and then to rise from the grave, defeating death and paving the way for ultimate victory in the second coming. What does he do? Let's read the story again. Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he is gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus was, well, was he an important man? Certainly he held a position with a certain amount of influence. As a chief tax collector, he had what basically amounted to a comfy government job. Uh, But an influential man, Zacchaeus was hated. As a tax collector, it was his job to collect money for the government and send it off to the powers that be. Kind of a first century Canada Revenue Agency, except that powers that be weren't the duly elected government of Canada. They were the violently occupying powers of the Roman Empire. 
The land of Israel at that time was under Roman rule, and with the brief exception of the Hasmonean dynasty, had been ruled over by Gentile empires for some 600 years. This wasn't a new thing. I don't think many of us here know what it's like to live in a country that's being occupied by an outside force, and I hope not many of us do. It's not something I'd like for anyone to have to experience, but do try to imagine it, that you're part of God's chosen people living in a land that God promised to your ancestors, and not only are you being ruled over by these militaristic outsiders, but some of your own people are helping them. And not like like we're police and we're trying to maintain order or we're trying to help the city run and maintain some societal order, right? Like not, not that kind of, uh, I don't know, is that helping? No, these guys are collecting money to send on ships to fuel the war machine that's currently keeping you under its boot. Oh, and they're taking some extra money from you because you don't really know how much it's supposed to be and they're keeping it for themselves. Tax collectors got rich by collaborating with the occupying force and by swindling their own people. Surely this would result in social exclusion to say the least. These men had sold their souls. Really, think about it. They'd trade away their communities, their belonging in the nation of God in exchange for the money and security promised by the invading forces of Rome. I don't know that sold their souls is really an exaggeration. So, Zacchaeus is not a popular man. He's wealthy, but he's not influential. He's climbed the corporate ladder, he's got the house, he's got the luxury, he's probably wearing the latest in designer sandals. But he doesn't have friends. The town doesn't like him. And they've got every reason not to. In some secret part of himself, he probably doesn't blame them. But one day a man comes to town, and not just any man, but a prophet. Some are calling him Messiah and Son of God. We don't know much about Zacchaeus. We don't know if he was smart or handsome, if he was fat or strong or bald. We know he was short, the story tells us as much. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little... No? Okay, all right. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. We also know, based on context, that he was alone. And from the way he responds to Jesus, I would argue he was hurting. Lonely. Lost. But I will say this for Zacchaeus. When he was hurting and alone, when he went to the right place. How many of us can say the same? When Zacchaeus was hurting and starving for love, he went to the one who created him the one who could love him through all of his issues, who had the power to make him whole, and how many of us can say the same? Or is it easier to open a bottle, pick up a chocolate bar, dive into a video game, hit next episode on Netflix? I think if we're honest, we could all stand to be a little bit more like Zacchaeus when we hurt, and in where we go for comfort. He didn't care about the social stigma of being seen, He even let himself be humiliated further by climbing a tree to get a look. Honestly, I doubt most men today would climb a tree. You know, it's something kids do. It's not something that dignified, aged, wise men of the community do. Even more so in the first century when men like this didn't even run because it was so undignified. But Zacchaeus went, 
And he didn't just see Jesus, he was seen by Jesus. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Can you imagine having Jesus show up and declare that he's coming to your house? It seems pretty weird to me. For many of you here, this may be the first time that you've laid eyes on me. Can you imagine if I walked up, addressed you by name, and declared I was coming to your house for lunch? Bit of a shock. What's more, having someone come to your house is a very vulnerable thing. We live in an age where one of the great social sins is to show up at someone's house unannounced. And in an age of cell phones and texting and email and smartwatches, there really is very little excuse for not letting someone know that you're coming. But why does it bother us? I know in our house, there's definitely an element of wanting to put the house in order before a guest comes over. You see, my wife and I have these two roommates who are very cute, but they're also very demanding. They rarely clean up after themselves. They demand that we feed them, but never help with the dishes. They think everything should happen on their schedule. They constantly choose an inopportune moment to climb on the kitchen table and start purring. I mean, our two cats. Oh, you thought I meant our kids. Oh, the kids. Well, we also have a two-year-old and a 10-month-old who you guys got to meet this morning. So you can imagine that our house is not guest-ready at any given moment. Seriously, though, having someone in your house makes you very vulnerable. Most of us have an image to protect, whether that's of being a professional, an academic, a hard worker, or in the case of us here, looking like we're good Christians. What if I could see what movies are in your cabinet? What if we could see the novels that you read? Your Netflix history? Clothing choices other than just your Sunday best? What kind of condition do you keep your yard in? Hint, mine is not good. How healthy and respectable are the groceries in your fridge? Is there a layer of dust on your running shoes or a pile of clothes you keep meaning to donate but has sat on that chair in your bedroom since Christmas? It's vulnerable to have someone in your house. I had a dream a couple weeks ago, like an honest-to-goodness while-I-was-asleep dream. And in this dream, I was at a hockey game, the Jets, obviously, and a man came and sat down beside me. This man was not well-dressed, his face was covered in dirt, and his clothes were, well, let's say they were well-worn. He didn't smell, though, but I guess weird details are just part of dreams. After a few minutes of awkward back and forth between myself and the man, of him trying to get my attention and me wishing he would go away so I could enjoy the game in peace, I suddenly realized, in the way that things just happen in dreams, that the man was sitting beside me was Jesus. My waking self was reminded of how Jesus spoke of our care for the least of these, and that we were caring for him when we did so. In my dream, I just felt a raw and burning sensation in my chest. It wasn't shame, but it was definitely conviction about the way that I view myself and others in my world. Later in the dream, I told one of those lies. You know the ones where something inconvenient is about to happen? And it wouldn't be a huge deal if it did, but you just don't want to deal with it. And so to say something that's sort of harmlessly untrue just to get out of it. Except that Jesus was standing beside me in the dream, and he was aghast at the casual relationship with the truth that I was demonstrating. I don't think of myself as a deceptive person or someone who trades in lies or even half-truths, 
But again, I felt this burning conviction where it was like encountering the divine and peeling back the sin and shame in my life to reveal who God had made me to be all along. I was desperate for more. It was all I could do to not physically push Jesus towards my car so we could get back to my house and he could do this all over my life. I woke from the dream with a fresh craving for the presence of God. So while having someone in your house is a vulnerable thing, it can also be very freeing. Jesus is under no illusions as to who you are. Jesus knew full well who Zacchaeus was, and he knows full well who you are. No surprises, no shocks. Have you welcomed Jesus into your house? He stands at the door and knocks. If you're somebody who likes to take notes, my points are very simple for today, and my first one is simply this. Let him in. For some of us, the answer to that question is no, and I invite you to think about it and encourage you to start your journey with Jesus. But for others of us, we've had Jesus in our homes for a while. We've been following, we've had Jesus come pick through our lives and start the work of transforming us to be more like him. But maybe for those of us, it's time to start asking how we can be more like Jesus in this story. How can we take that amazing, patient, enduring love that Jesus shows us and apply it to those around us? Well, I think the story of Zacchaeus gives us some more hints in this regard. Actually, now that I think about it, do you know what story comes right before Zacchaeus? It's right at the end of Luke 18, obviously. There's a blind man by the side of the road, and we know him as Bartimaeus. And this story happens as Jesus is coming up to Jericho, where he meets Zacchaeus. This man, Bartimaeus, wants Jesus to restore his sight, and the crowd around him tries to silence him. They don't think he's worth Jesus' time. But Jesus calls out to him and has Bartimaeus brought before him. Zacchaeus, too, was thought unworthy by those around him, but Jesus picked him out. Who is it in your life, in the circles where you live, that either you or those around you would call unworthy? Of course, when we think about it, the whole point of the Christian message is that we're all unworthy and that Jesus comes to us anyway, and yet there do seem to be classes of people that some of us think don't deserve to hear the gospel. Maybe it's people of a certain economic status or a certain level of melanin in their skin, either high or low, depending on your perspective. Maybe it's people who are engaged with certain types of sin, or maybe it's people you disagree with politically. Who are the people that society has called unworthy? And how can you love them the way that Jesus loved Zacchaeus? So for those of you taking notes, my second simple point is see them. Lastly, have you ever been in someone's house and it's a mess? We already talked about how embarrassing and vulnerable it is to have someone come into your house. But have you ever been on the other end of that situation? It's not comfortable either. When you start to see people and how they live and those things that they can no longer hide, it can be easy to feel, well, disgusted, revolted, pity, blame. You let your kids watch what? You let them eat what at what time? But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't live for judgment. Jesus came into Zacchaeus' house, he shared his food, he sat at his table, and he was a friend to Zacchaeus. 
Zacchaeus got his world rocked. He turned over a new leaf. Jesus didn't preach. He didn't work a miracle. He just came into Zacchaeus' life and loved him. Maybe that was all the miracle he needed. Suddenly, the life that was in Jesus leapt out of him and took root in Zacchaeus for all to see, and he was a changed man. Because Jesus invited himself into Zacchaeus' mess, Zacchaeus was saved from the separation and lostness he built for himself. So my third point to go with let him in and see them, go in. Walk into messy situations. Let the love and the light of Christ shine out of you into dark places. And maybe we too can be fortunate enough to be known as a friend of sinners. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the stories of Jesus. Thank you especially today for the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. Thank you for the the examples set by both men where we can, as always, see in Jesus who we're trying to become, but also in Zacchaeus see the ways that we need him. Pray that you would take this word and push it deep into our hearts, Father, that it would bear the fruit that you desire, that we would be your people, both in this place and as we go from it. In your name we pray, amen.